Welcome to Kishwaukee Bible Church. Welcome again. Uh, my name is Jesse. I'm the pastor here. Glad to be with you this morning, especially if you're visiting with us. Uh, but I'm especially excited to have our kids with us. Like Mike said, it's a fifth Sunday, so most of the kids who would normally go off to Sunday school are here with us and glad to have you for this time that we're going to jump into God's Word, jump into the Bible, and you're going to do that with us today um, as big people. And um, I just want to take a moment to catch you up to speed, kids, on where we've been, because we're in a series that we've been calling The Songs of Jesus. And it's a series in which we've been looking at a book of the Bible named The Psalms. You know that book? Are you familiar with that book? You know the book of Psalms? It's a book of songs. These are the songs, the songs that shaped Jesus' life. These are the songs that Jesus grew up with. And we've been walking through this, this, what we've been calling a playlist, the playlist of Jesus, the songs that shape Jesus' life, hoping they'd shape our lives as well. We've been walking through this playlist, and what we found as we've been walking song by song through it is that this playlist actually tells a story. Isn't that interesting? It tells a story. It's sort of like a, a musical CD and an odyssey all in one. It tells a story. And what we found is that it's a story about God's forever king, the promise of God's forever king, a, a king who was going was gonna to be given to God's people to settle them in the land forever to be with God forever, to live happily forever after. Well, the problem is, is that the promise of this forever king only led to doubts and disappointments. Because though this forever king was promised, the only king that, that God's people got, the only king that they saw, all the kings that came through, weren't forever kings. They were for a while kings. And they didn't settle that people, God's people, in that land to be with God forever. They only led to them getting kicked out. And so... What we found, though, is ironically, what led them to getting kicked out and they're being outside that forever land has led that people, led us as well in a way, to put our trust not in a coming forever king, but in God as king. The book's going to circle around in, in actually next week, back to this promise. They ask, how could this be? What happened to the promise, though? But we've learned in this book that our hope has to depend on God. And that's where we got to last week with this people who would have listened to this playlist where they, they, they finally cried out in Psalm 106. Can you believe it? We made it through to 106. They cry out in Psalm 106 for God to save them. 
and, and gather them from among the nations where they had been scattered to gather them that they might give thanks to God's holy name. That's where we've made it, which is where we've, we're picking up today when God answers that cry in Psalm 107. So if you have a Bible, I'm going to invite you to turn there. And, and if you don't, if, you're, if your kid doesn't have a Bible, let them cuddle in with you a little bit because I want them to listen to this because I'm going to read this whole Psalm and I want you to listen for a minute and I want you to, you, you to listen particularly for what we're called to do when God does what we cannot do for ourselves. That's what this psalm is all about. God doing what we cannot do for ourselves. But I want you to listen. What are we called to do when God does what we cannot do for ourselves? And and the hint is that it's stated four times, okay? Four times. And if you get it, come up to me after the service. I got a bowl of candy I know some of your parents don't even let you have candy. So come up to me, and you tell me, and it'll be your and my little secret. Okay, so here we go. Listen up. Here it is, Psalm 107. This is God's word. It says this, Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. For his steadfast love endures forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so whom he has redeemed from trouble and gathered in from the lands, from the east and from the west, from the north and from the south. Some wandered in desert wastes, finding no way to a city to dwell in, hungry and thirsty. Their soul fainted within them. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He led them by a straight way till they reached a city to dwell in. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man. For he satisfies the longing soul. And the hungry soul he fills with good things. Some sat in darkness and in the shadow of death, prisoners in affliction and in irons. For for they had rebelled against the words of God and spurned the counsel of the Most High. Then, so he bowed their hearts down with hard labor. They fell down with none to help. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He brought them out of darkness and the shadow of death and burst their bonds apart. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man. For he shatters the doors of bronze and cuts in two the bars of iron. Some were fools through their sinful ways, and because of their iniquities suffered affliction. They loathed any kind of food, and they drew near to the gates of death. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble and delivered them from their destruction. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man. And let them offer sacrifices of thanksgiving and tell of his deeds in songs of joy. 
Some, some went down to the sea in ships, doing business in the, the great waters. They, they saw the deeds of the Lord, his wondrous works in the deep. For he commanded and raised the stormy wind, which lifted up the waves of the sea. They mounted up to heaven. They went down to the depths. Their, their courage melted away in their evil plight. They reeled and staggered like drunken men and were at their wit's end. Then they cried to the Lord in their distress. And he delivered them from it. He made the storm be still and the waves of the sea were hushed. Then they were glad that the waters were quiet, and he brought them to their desired haven. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man. Let them extol him in the congregation of the people and praise him in the assembly of the elders. He, he turns rivers into a desert, springs of water into thirsty ground, a fruitful land into a salty waste because of the evil of its inhabitants. He turns a desert into pools of water, a parched land into springs of water. And there he, he lets the hungry dwell and they establish a city to live in. They sow fields and plant vineyards and get a fruitful yield. By his blessing, they multiply greatly and he does not let their livestock diminish. When they are diminished and brought low through oppression, evil, and sorrow, he pours contempt on princes and makes them wander in trackless ways. But he raises up the needy out of affliction and makes their families like flocks. The upright see it and are glad. And all wickedness shuts its mouth. Whoever is wise, let him attend these things. Let them consider the steadfast love of the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for doing for us what we could not do for ourselves. For gathering us in and saving us from our enemies and saving us from ourselves. And promising that one day you will save us for good. Thank you for that never stopping, never giving up. Always and forever love. For your steadfast love with which you've redeemed us. Made a way back to yourself. And made us your own. And ultimately done so in the person and work of your son, Jesus Christ. And will finally do so when he returns. And it's in his name I pray today that he would be honored, lifted up in our lives. For the good of your glory, God. And just for our plain old good. In his name we pray. Amen. Well, I was thinking this week, kids, I'm especially thinking of you. I was thinking this week of just how much thank you 
goes. Just how, how long a thank you goes. Goes a long way, doesn't it? And though it might not seem like much, it's sometimes the most meaningful thing that you can do for those who love you. Just saying thank you. But I know sometimes that it's hard to figure out what to say or, or how to say it. So I, I thought today I'd share with you just how some other kids have said thank you in the form of a little note. I'm just going to share some of the, 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 the examples that I found of, of just how kids have said thank you for one thing or another. And maybe you can glean um, what's good from them. Maybe you can recognize what could be better. Here, here's the first. Here's one written to a mom. Uh, pretty straightforward. It says, Dear Mom, thank you for the baby brother. Even though what I asked for was a puppy. At least she's honest, right? Maybe that's too direct for you, though. So, so, so you could take this tact. Dear Grandma and Grandpa, thanks for what you got me. Love, Dylan. P.S. I forgot what you got me. <laughs> Here's another direction you could take. Uncle Joey, thank you for the amazing squirt gun. I will shoot you with. <laughs> Maybe it's too much. One more for mom. Thank you, mom. This girl says, for making me food so I won't die. <laughs> we should all recognize that's a good thing, right? That's true, right? I'm thankful for that. My mom's here. I'm still alive. And much because she gave me those, that food. You could develop it a little more, though, as this girl did. Thank you, Mom, for being wonderful and caring and dot, 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 not making your meatloaf anymore, <laughs> which I would have written as a kid. Best one I saw this week, though, was got to be the one from Flint. I don't know who Flint is, but I like Flint. He wrote to his teacher this, Dear Mr. Ramon, thank you for coming to our school and teaching us about meteorology. You're more awesome than a monkey wearing a tuxedo made of bacon, riding a cyborg unicorn with a lightsaber on the horn and on a, the tip of a space shuttle closing in on Mars engulfed in flames. <laughs> and in case you didn't know, that's pretty dang sweet. <laughs> Sincerely, Flint. P.S. Look on the back for the drawing. You can see, though, how saying thank you goes a long way. Those are cards that didn't just get thrown out, no matter how short they were. Going, saying thank you goes a long way. And all joking aside, it's sometimes the most meaningful thing that you can do for those who love you. Why? Because sometimes that's all you can do when they've done what you can't do for yourself. 
Because sometimes that's all that's left to do when they've done what you can't do for yourself. Whether it's a parent or a grandparent or a teacher. But how much more when it comes to God? See, like it says in this song, God's done the greatest thing that we couldn't do for ourselves. He's redeemed us, it says. He saved us. He brought us back. And he's gathered us from the lands over which we were dispersed. So that it says, oh, give thanks to the Lord. For he is good. For his steadfast love endures forever. Let the redeemed say so. Which is the one thing that I want to talk to you about today. That when it comes to God, if you've experienced this, saying thank you is in some ways the most meaningful thing you can do. Because in some ways, it's the only thing you can do for the one who's done what you couldn't do for yourself. Saying thank you. I want to talk to you today about saying thank you to God and doing so in at least four different situations. When God leads you, when God frees you, when God heals you, and when God saves you. Four different situations. First, saying thank you when God leads you. And again, if you have a Bible, look here at verse 4, where the psalmist says, Some wandered in desert wastes, finding no way to a city to dwell in. So much so that they were hungry and thirsty, it says. And that their soul fainted within them. Do you know what that's like? You ever have to wander in a desert waste? Well, I came close once in Egypt. I, uh, I had a layover in Cairo, and I made it out uh, on a dime to the pyramids in Giza. But I, I had to get back to the airport and all of a sudden realized that the cab that me and the guy I was with came in was nowhere in sight. Now, I can't fully describe this scene, but... It was basically a desert waste in which I did not think we were going to make it back. I was either prepared to be taken in by the desert or taken in by some bandit riding on camelback, of which we saw some, until we cried out to the Lord, came around a corner, there was our taxi driver having a cup of coffee, and we happened to be walking in the wrong direction. So thank God which is what this says, right? This is what it says. So we started to, like the psalmist says, then we cried out to the Lord in our trouble and he delivered us from our distress. We came around the corner, there he was, and we got in and we got back to the airport. We had the best whopper that I have ever had, cost far too much in the airport and it probably wasn't as tasty as I remember it, but it was good because we made it back. Verse 7 says, God leads them by a straight way till they've reached a city to dwell in. 
Ever wander in a desert waste? I came close. But that's not quite what I think the psalmist is talking about. You see, the psalmist isn't just talking about when we get lost, that God will lead us home. He's talking about when we wander from God, and then he forces us to wander in the wilderness. He's talking about his people here. This is a historical thing. And saying that even then, when it's their own fault, they're wandering as a punishment for wandering from him. And that even then, God will gather, in this case, from the east, east of the promised land, from the desert wastes, east of the promised land, God will gather his people and bring them back to himself. Isn't that a phenomenally more impressive statement? Not just when we end up hitchhiking our way to the pyramids in Giza and losing our way, and he'll bring us back to the airport, thank God. But that when he forces us to wander, after wandering away from him, that even then he'll bring his people back. That's what Moses says in Deuteronomy. He says that God found Israel in the desert land and in the howling waste of the wilderness, he says. He encircled him. He cared for him. He kept him as the apple of his eye. Sure, God can lead us when we're lost with our feet but this is saying so much more that, that God will lead his people and, and has led them when they're lost in their hearts. Isn't that amazing? How often are you lost in your heart? How often do you wander from God? And yet even then, the people of God, God will lead them back. And what do you do in a situation like that? Well, even more than for the whopper, you thank him. That's what it says. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man. Why? For he satisfies the longing soul and the hungry soul he fills with good things. Thank him when he leads you. Second, thank him when he frees you. It says in verse 10, some sat in darkness and, and in the shadow of death, prisoners in affliction and in irons. Doesn't, doesn't it sound so cold? But why? Why are they there? They're, they're, they're not there for nothing. It says, for they, what? Had rebelled against God and spurned the counsel of the Most High. What does that mean? It means that they, they didn't care what God thought. They only cared what they thought even though these were God's people. So what does it say God did? Verse 12, so he bowed their hearts down with hard labor. God did it. You ever do hard labor? Emmett and I were out mulching earlier this week. You know, by the end of it, a couple hours of that, we were bent over, 
bent low. This is worse than that. This is sending them to the, to the Babylonian Empire. Backbreaking stuff. They would build the altars of the gods that they wandered off to serve. This backbreaking stuff. And yet, and yet, after they fell down with none to help, again, God doesn't discipline his people just for fun. He, he does it because he wants us back. So that, again, it says, when, when they cried, when they cried, just like those who, who he made wander in the deserts, it, it says here, he delivered them from their distress. That he brought them out of darkness and the shadow of death and burst their bonds apart. This is the answer to Psalm 23. We wander in those valleys. We wander so much in the valley of the shadow of death. And yet God brings them out. Isn't that amazing? Because God's not the type of God who's going to keep disciplining his kids when the discipline works. It's going to have an end. He's going to get to the end of it. It's never, it's never until somebody crosses into eternity and the discipline did nothing, it's never retributive. It's always restorative for God's people, for those who are truly God's people. And it will come to an end. Not because those and the picture here, though, there comes a day when he breaks the bond. The picture here, though, having already spoken of those in the east, I know we're going to deal a little bit with geography this morning, okay? In the east, right? East of the promised land. Having always spoken about those in the east, the picture here is of those who are sent off into exile in the north. That's where the Babylonians came in, the Assyrians before them, through the north. And, and God says, I'm going to get them. That where God gives his people over to hard labor, when they're in effect taken into prison, not because the ones who imprisoned them are any better than they were, but because they were God's people and they didn't look any different than those people. Given off into prison, but God says, I'm going to get them back. I'm going to bring them back. From the east, wandering in the wasteland, from the north, even that won't last forever. And he did it. We know this historically. He did bring them back. But what do you do in a situation like that? That's the question, right? What do we do when someone else does what we can't do for ourselves? What do you do? You do the same thing. You thank him. You thank him. Like the psalmist says, let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man. Why? He says here, for he shatters the doors of bronze. Can't do that. I can't do that. I've tried on a couple bronze doors. They have bronze doors in Scotland. It doesn't work. We'll just lock ourselves out all the time. I can't do that. You can't do that. He shatters the doors of bronze. He cuts into the bars of iron because God's more 
more awesome than a monkey in a tuxedo made of bacon. He's so awesome. So thank him. Thank him when he leads you. Thank him when he frees you. Third, thank him when he heals you. And this is in verse 17, which as best as I can tell, east, north, as best as I can tell, this is describing not those who wandered in deserts, right, in the east or went off into exile in the north, but those who wanted to run back to Egypt in the south. These were the fools, the psalmist calls them, who who, through their sinful ways, their sinful desires, and because of their iniquities, it says, suffered affliction. Why? Because it says they loathed any kind of food, and they drew near to the gates of death. Which I wonder, as best I can tell again, I wonder if this is referring to how much these people hated the manna in the wilderness. Do you remember the story? How much they hated what God provided for them. The quail first, the manna in the wilderness. What do they say? Let us go back to Egypt before we die here. They didn't want God to provide for them. They wanted the, what they perceived as the meat pots back in the land of slavery. Before we die here, God says, no. You spurned the food I was going to give you, and you took the gates of death. You were headed where you thought you were getting away from. And that wasn't just in the wilderness. That was after they were in the promised land too. People, you read this in the, in the historical books of the Old Testament, continually running back to Egypt. You believe that? 400 years enslaved in a land and they're the ones you're going to go running to? Serious coming. Go to Egypt. Quick. But even this didn't last forever. God ships them off to straighten them out, but even that didn't last forever, and he eventually brings them back too. What do you do in a situation like that? What do you do when God does what you can't do for yourself? You thank him. You thank him, just like the psalmist says, let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man. Why? For he... shatters the doors of bronze. Let them offer sacrifices of thanksgiving and tell of his deeds and songs of joy. So do it. So do it. Thank him. When he leads you and frees you, when he heals you, and forth, forth, when God saves you. Whether from the east or the north, from the south or the west, right? Because that's, that's where God's gathering his people. That's what he says in verse 3, right? 
I gathered my people from the four points of the compass, from the east and the north, from the south and the west. What's in the west? What is west of the promised land? The sea. It's the sea. So here, what he says, you says in verse 23, so some went down to the sea in ships doing business on the great waters. Israelites didn't like water. They hadn't, didn't have a navy until the 1900, not even close. The fisher, these were odd things, the disciples being fishermen. They were odd. And you did that. You did it on the Sea of Galilee. You didn't do it out in the Mediterranean. That was a Roman thing to do. The Israelites were scared of the sea. But some broke away. Some went down to the sea in ships doing business. Maybe not running from God, but there's at least a hint here that they were looking for security without God. That's what the sea represented in a sense. An opportunity to get out from under God. Because in some sense, you had become dissatisfied with God. That's what this was. And you were going to make your millions, right? Because enough is never enough. And whatever wanderlust drove these guys to get on those ships, it wasn't just the desire to see something new and experience something new and go out and see the wonders of God's creation. It wasn't that. They were out to leverage it for themselves, not for humanity. They were after something for themselves. So they go down to the sea, and yet that's where they, what? They see God. I remember living in Scotland, taking Emmett every once in a while. Even Alethea, she couldn't even walk at the time, throwing her in a backpack, going down to the, to the sea, to the shoreline, and watching as the storms would roll in, and these massive oil tankers rolling, rolling on the sea. You see God up to the heavens, he says, down to the depths, so that these sailors, like these sailors, watching this on the North Sea, your courage would melt away. I remember camping with Emmett one night. It was the eeriest thing to look out over this, 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 this shore that was lit from the, the oil rigs and to see the waves crashing over them. Your courage melts away because of the plight. Until these two, the psalmist says, cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress, stilling the storm, quieting the waves, and bringing these sailors in to safe haven. Can't wait till that happens again in history when somebody stills the storm like God can. But here, it's because God leads and frees and He heals and He saves. He saves. He, he heals and He saves. And that's just because that's the type of God He is. He will not leave His own. And when He does it, what are you to do? Thank him. It's as simple as that here. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love. 
for his wondrous works to the children of man. Let them extol it in the congregation of the people and praise him in the assembly of the elders, which is the assembly of who God's done that for as well. The gathered people of those who've been touched by the hand of God. Why? Because God is the kind of God who can flip your world in a moment. Isn't that what it says? That's what it says, right? That if everything, that if everything's great and you're doing great because you've walked away from God, that He can flip it in a moment with no effort and turn it upside down. And maybe even more that if everything's bad and you're just doing bad, he can flip your life right side up as soon as you cry out for help. He's like Mary Poppins showing up, turning everything topsy-turvy. Just a flick of her nose. Verse 33. Rivers become deserts. Springs turn into thirsty ground, fruitless, fruitfulness into waste because of the evil of its inhabitants. But just as much, deserts become pools of water and parched land turns to springs where the hungry dwell and they establish the city that they were looking for to live in. Who does this? God. So, thank Him. And not just because God can take care of the little things, turning them on their head, changing the circumstances of this world. That's not really a big deal to God. That doesn't really take a lot of effort. It's not really that impressive. I'll tell you what is impressive, though, when he steps into the mess of our lives and takes what we've messed up and turns that for good. That is unbelievable. That he has the power to reach down into the mess and do what we can't do for ourselves. about how he can take what we've made and undo it for something better. Lead us back. Set us free. Heal our hearts. Save us from ourselves. The most destructive piece of this world in your life is you. But if you're not convinced that God can do this, if you're not convinced that God can take the mess of your life that you hide from everybody else that no one else knows about, or at least you think no one else knows about, if you don't think God can do it, look no further than what God did in the death and resurrection of Jesus where he took humanity's worst and turned it in such a way 
to use it for our best. Which means the mess of your life ain't nothing left for him to do. Because he's already taken, he's already taken the worst and turned it for the best. And all we've got to do after crying out for help, that's an important step along the way, right? He pushes us, pushes us, pushes us to cry out for help. All we've got to do after crying out for help and him doing what we can't do for ourselves is to thank him for what he's done. Let me encourage you that as we leave today to thank him even this week in three ways. To thank him first for his love. To thank him second with your lips and to thank him third with your life. To thank him for his love, to thank him with your lips, and to thank him with your life. First, to thank him for his love. And I mean, by this, his steadfast love, right? That's at the heart of this, that never stopping, never giving up, unbreaking, always and forever love. That's what this is about. It's, it's, it's about his steadfast love. It's coming up more and more and more in the Psalms. You hear it, right? More and more and more. This is the, the focus of it all, isn't it? Why? Because this is the only hope left. This is all there is to hang on to. The steadfast love of the Lord. Not because we're so lovely, but that God is so loving, so incredibly monkey with a tuxedo made of bacon loving. That it drove him to gather his people from the four points of the compass, from, from, the, from the east and from the north, from the south and from the west. That's what this psalm celebrates. But even more, that he would one day, that this love would one day drive him to send his one and only son for those same people and for us. And for us. I wouldn't give my son up for any of you. He gave his son up for all of us. That he would die in our place when neither they nor us deserved it. So thank him for his love. We get so preoccupied thanking him for the little things don't we? It's not bad, but you get so preoccupied in the little things, you you just forget about the big thing. When it ought to be the other way around. Our preoccupation with the big thing ought to to, to serve our, our, our growing thankfulness for all the little things. 
but you sweat the small stuff too much, you lose sight of the big stuff. So spend some time this week remembering the big stuff. And if you get stuck worrying about the small stuff, which pretty much everything else is small, if you get stuck worrying about the small stuff, ask yourself, what are you thinking about the big stuff? Where did it go? How did it slip out of view? And how can you get it back? Spend some time thanking him for his love. Second, thank him with your lips. It's such a strange word, isn't it? Lips. But did you notice how much that came up in this psalm? Because we need to sing. We need to speak. Your parents need to speak this to you. And if you're not, you should go to them. You should ask them, why aren't you speaking to me about this? I need to learn about this. Pastor said there's something important here. We need to speak this, sing this. We need to actually, we need to actually give thanks. We need to actually verbalize it. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Like go out and meditate by yourself about it. Doesn't say go out and you know get behind you know your 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 steering wheel and get some windshield time in and just you know just think about it. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. So so that at the end of this, what's the point? That all wickedness would shut its mouth. That we wouldn't even notice though because we've been so wrapped up in speaking ourselves. We don't even know that they shut up. Because if we don't do it, who's going to do it? The rocks are going to cry out? Yeah, they probably will. It ain't going to drown me out. I don't want to be one of those people. So at least the rocks cried out on my behalf. We've got to speak. So thank him with your lips. And lastly, thank him with your life. Thank him with your life. Because you see where this ends, right? This last verse. This is where the psalm ends. All the speaking, that's the emphasis, but it's driving towards this last verse. Psalm speaks so much about giving thanks and giving thanks and giving thanks. But in the end, what does it say? That whoever's wise, let him attend to these things. Let him consider the steadfast love of the Lord. This is the windshield time. And then how that works itself out in life. Which means as much as we're supposed to speak about it, there is a time, there comes a time that we've got to take a moment and internalize it. And start flipping through life and, and, and all of our schedule and where we're putting our time, where we're putting our money, what we're doing with our resources, what, what we're doing with, with our friendships, what we're doing with, with all the, the other relationships we have. We've got to flip through and ask the question, what's it all going for? Am I just trying to catch a ship to make my millions, to see the world for myself? Is this actually transforming my life? Is it changing what I do Monday morning? Is it transforming what I do in work and after work? 
Is it transforming what I do through work? Because it's supposed to transform our lives. Because of what he's done for us and what he's done in Jesus, that this is supposed to prove our wisdom as we live in God's world, God's way. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that it would be so. It's a terribly inconvenient thing to be a sinner. That's who we are, Lord, though, and we need your help to do it. And I pray, sinner as we are, that that would be used to your glory to elevate all the more our thankfulness, to increase all the more our thankfulness for you, for what you did that we couldn't do for ourselves when you did it in Jesus. Amen. Leads us. He frees us. He heals us and saves us. He's done it in part. He'll do it someday for good. And I pray that this week that you would give thanks to the Lord for his goodness, for all that he's done for us in Jesus. for joining us. For more information about our church, please visit our church's website at kishbible.org. That's K-I-S-H-Bible dot O-R-G.